Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're in the middle of a study on this uh, story that we uh, call from our, our Bibles the uh, story of the prodigal son. Um, first week into it, we kind of did an overview and, and just looked at it uh, totally together. And then the next Sunday in, we talked about the people around Jesus. And that might surprise you just a little bit about the people uh, around Jesus as far as who they were. Because when you look at the context of this story, uh, you find out that people around him, yes, there were some religious people, there were Pharisees and scribes, and you know, people probably expect, well, yeah, religious people ought to be around Jesus. But uh, when you read a, a verse that we'll look at in just a moment, you'll see that there were also tax collectors and sinners that were around Jesus, and uh, that had the religious people upset. Um, look at the text here, the first of this chapter And you need to really understand this, or you're going to misinterpret the reason why Jesus tells this story. The Bible said in the very first of chapter 15 of Luke, Now the the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And, you know, that ought to be something that you think people would be happy about. But it, it said, and the Pharisees and the scribes, instead of being happy about it, they grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with him. And then the Bible literally tells us, so he tells him this parable. In other words, the very reason he goes into three parables that he tells is because the religious crowd, the Pharisees and the scribes, were there condemning him for allowing sinners to draw near him. He tells three parables. He tells a parable about a lost sheep. And that parable about a lost sheep, the lost sheep is found. And there's a celebration. He tells a parable about a lost silver coin. And in that parable, the lost silver coin is found. And once again, there's a celebration. And then he tells this parable that we are focusing on in these weeks in this study. And it's a parable about a lost person, a lost son. And he's not necessarily found as in regards to someone going to look for him. But, but he is found in the way that he understands the air of his way, and he turns and returns to his father, and the father's very happy, and there's a celebration. At the end of the first two parables, Jesus really points out that there's celebration in heaven when one person comes to repentance. And the point that he's making is this if there's celebration in heaven when one person comes to, to repentance, you know, people celebrate over a financial gain of a lost sheep, the financial gain of, of a lost coin that they found. Why not celebrate over lost people, sinners coming to him? And, and that's why he tells this story. In, in the picture we get here, he's, he's looking at the Pharisees and he's, he's talking to their hearts. And he's trying to let them know, listen, you need to change your hearts. Last week, when uh, I was gone, it was uh, my Becky's son, uh, Jared. It was his birthday, and he's off at college. So we left to go see him uh, and spend some time with him. And and, and Daryl brought the message about the the lost younger son. 
And the lost younger son is kind of like the traditional viewpoint that people give of this passage of Scripture because it's pretty easy for us to look at what the, what the younger son did and say, yep, that's screwed up. That's a sinner, you know. Because he more or less goes to his daddy and he breaks all the traditions of that day and he says, I, I want my inheritance now. In other words, I, I wish you were already dead so I can have my inheritance. And then he goes away to a far country, away from his daddy, away from his family, and he blows everything hanging out with prostitutes and living a wild life. And, and it's pretty easy for us to recognize that and say, yep, that's sin. And, and that's what Daryl focused on last week, that... That, that lost younger brother, and we can see why he's lost. Today, we're going to focus on the lost elder brother, that oldest son. And that title might set you back just a little bit because you may not be accustomed to viewing the older brother as someone that's lost. After all, he stayed at home, and he worked really hard, and he was serving his father and doing all these things. Just like the Pharisees would have viewed their own lives. They were busy doing what they thought God wanted them to do, so they're going to earn their way by serving him, by being obedient. So a lot of people would not see lostness in the elder son because he's there, he's, he's working and trying to... Obey his father. But the truth of the matter is you'll see in more details as we go through the message today. He's not really interested about his father. He's interested in the inheritance also. He's just taking a different pathway to get what he wants. And he thinks he can earn his inheritance. So as we look at the story of this elder brother and talk about him and elder brother types like the Pharisees, there's some lessons that we need to try and learn today. Here, here's our first lesson, lesson number one. The elder brother's attitudes and actions. I think give us a picture or represent the attitudes and actions of religious self-righteous people towards sinners. Not just in that day and time, regrettably still yet today. We, we read this in, in verse 24, down, down through the first part of verse 28. Um, and we're going to break those verses down in, into two thoughts. First of all, this, this parable definitely gives you a story of sinful actions. Because it says, this my son was dead. This is the father talking about the first younger son and how he had went away from him and blown everything. He, he said, this my son was dead. It's like he was dead to me and now he's alive again. He was lost and he's found and, and they begin to celebrate. So it is a story about sinful actions and where sinful actions take you. The, the stories of that wayward son, as I said a moment ago, taking his dad's in, inheritance, the part of it that he would eventually get, going into a far country, blowing everything, finding himself in a pig pen, wanting to eat what he's feeding the pig because he kind of came to rock bottom in his life. So it is a, a story about sinful actions. And he wakes up and he kind of spiritually wakes up, comes to the father, and the father receives him and back into the family, hugs him, welcomes him back in, a great picture of grace. But the intent that Jesus tells this story for, I, I don't think it's so much to tell us a story about sinful actions as much as it is a story about sinful attitudes. Because as we go on in this story, 
It says now the older son, the one we're talking about today, was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard a party taking place. I mean, he heard the, the celebration, heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants over and he said, what in the world's going on? What does this mean? Why, why is a party taking place? And, and the servant said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fat and calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But I want you to look at the, at the attitude of the response of this elder brother. The Bible said he was angry and refused to go in. And, and the word that's translated angry in, in, in the original Greek means that, man, he was really ticked off. Like, not like he's just a little bit upset. It, it means to be enraged, even exasperated. It comes from a root word that talks about violent passion. It even has an implication that you want to punish someone, that you want to wreak vengeance upon them, that, that you're just filled with wrath towards someone. That, that's the way he felt, this elder brother, about his sinful younger brother coming home and this party being thrown. And the Bible said that he refused, and in the Greek it means there's an absolute negative there. It means there's absolutely no way that he's going in. It's like, I'm, I'm so upset, I'll have nothing to do with my younger brother. I'll have nothing to do with this celebration, nothing to do with this party. And that's the, the attitude that you see displayed in this elder brother. And regrettably, that's still the attitude you see in elder brother types. Because if we're not careful, it's awful easy for us in the church to get a little bit self-righteous and in, in a, in a little bit like the Pharisees and for us to look down on people and, and be upset that, that they've been accepted by our Father and, and that a party's going on because of them. The younger son here, he, he, he definitely... Tragically, terribly sinned against his father. And that's the easy part of this story, as I've already said, to, to see and understand. But what we need to recognize is this. We need to recognize that, that wrong attitudes, not just sinful actions, bring disgrace to the father. Sure, it disgraced the father in this story when the younger son came up and said, I want the money, I want to run with it, I'm going to live however I want to live. Don't want you to tell me what to do anymore. That was a disgrace to the father. We can still disgrace our Heavenly Father when we act like, I don't want to hear from you, I don't want you telling me how to live, I'm going to go live my life the way I want to. Through our sinful actions, we can disgrace our Heavenly Father. And that's no surprise to us. But what might be a surprise to us is this, you can also disgrace your Heavenly Father by the wrong attitudes that you have. The attitudes of this anger, the, the, the attitudes of refusing to go in. What that really represents is the, the elder brother, more or less, giving a vote of no confidence to his father. It's like he's saying, I see what you've done. I understand my brother's come home after he ruined his life. I understand that you brought him in, but I don't think you should have brought him in, and I don't think you ought to be throwing the party. So he's given a vote of no confidence in his direction for having done everything that the father had done up to this point. Culturally, in that day and time, you need to understand that it would have been very demeaning for a patriarchal father to have to come out and maybe entreat or beg for his son to come in to a party. 
and, and this older son standing outside and refusing to come in and being angry would have been something that would have disgraced the father. Because after all, the father's the one that had received the brother. The father's the one that had planned the party and said, let's give the party. So it's like he's given a vote of no confidence against, against his father. And if we're not careful in the church, even in this day and time, if we're not careful, we can be viewed as though we're given a vote of no confidence against our Father in heaven. When He receives sinners, when He stands with open arms and invites them, and maybe in our self-righteousness, because it's really easy to forget that we ourselves deserve to go to hell and that we ourselves are sinners that are only saved by grace, it's really easy for us to see ourselves as righteous and start to look down on other people and almost have the attitude that we're given a vote of no confidence whenever our Heavenly Father welcomes sinners to Himself. And when we have attitudes like that, that is, that's very disrespectful to our Father. Before we have that kind of attitude, we really need to remember that if you look in this Bible, this Bible is filled with people that were sinners. Have you ever figured that out? Moses, who we think, good night. I mean, God gave him the Ten Commandments in that great mountaintop experience. Well, do you remember that he murdered somebody? And he had other flaws in his life too, by the way. King David, who, who wrote the Psalms. Wow, you know, God used him to write the Psalms. And, and if you look at the bloodline of Jesus, you'll trace the bloodline of Jesus through David and Bathsheba, who, by the way, Bathsheba was the one that, if you remember the story, David committed adultery with, and she conceived a child, and then he was trying to cover it up. So in a battle scene, he told the army to pull back and allowed her husband, Uriah, to be murdered. So David, that God says, a man after my own heart. Pretty flawed a lot of times. Paul, who God used to write more of the New Testament than anybody else, that, that same apostle Paul, we find him before he comes to Christ consenting to the death of Christians, persecuting Christians even to the death, happy, glad that they're being killed. And that's just a sampling of it. I mean, you know, again and again and again and again. Yes, guess what? These big Bible characters that, that we tend to elevate, they were sinners just like us. They were sinners just like people that we might look down upon. And we need to realize that our wrong attitudes, if we act like we're given a vote of no confidence to God when he welcomes sinners to himself, that's very disrespectful to God. We need to remember the Bible says all of sin and comes short of the glory of God. Amen? Also, in the, the picture of these two brothers, in the, the younger brother that Daryl talked about last week, you, you have a picture of grace, of uh, the love of the Father and the grace of the Father. But kind of when you look at this story before us now, the elder brother, that part of the story, the focus is shifted a little bit from just the grace to the cost of the grace. And it's like the elder brother is upset about this expense, this cost of the grace taking place. Uh, according to Dr. Keller that wrote this book that we've used for our small group study entitled The Prodigal God in that day and time, 
if someone had already received part of their inheritance and they left and they went away and let's say they blew it all and then they come back in the return to the family and the father accepts them back into the family, he is also once again given the rights to part of the inheritance. So this elder brother's a little bit upset. Man, he's already wasted some of the money. Now you brought him back and you're giving him more money. The cost is just too much. Killing the fatted calf and everything. It's just too much. It's too expensive. It's too extravagant for you to do this for him because he's, he's just a sinner. Look at what he's done. I've spent the last three days at Alexander Maximum Security Prison. It's really easy for us to get the view of, of those people. Well, man, look what they've done. They deserve everything that they get. Why go and feed them cookies? Why go and try and talk to them about Jesus? Why try and do anything to try and, to try and change their lives? And yet this is my third time in there, and... I'll just you, you and me both. I, I'll probably meet some people in there that are more godly than you or me, either one, at this point in their life. Oh, yeah, there's some really messed up people that's done some really bad things. There are also some people who have since that time come to Christ and since that time are serving Christ in the prison. But it'd be easy for us to kind of look down and say, well, why do that? Why, why go to that trouble? Yeah, most of you know I, uh, I ride a motorcycle, and I also serve as a chaplain with, with the Blue Knights, which is a law enforcement motorcycle club. Every now and then, going into the prison and doing a Blue Knights motorcycle ride, those events have kind of coincided a little bit, and I've chosen each time to go into the prison. And every now and then I'll get maybe just a little dig come my way. Well, you know, we're, we're law enforcement. We're former law enforcement. We don't feed prisoners cookies. We put them in prisons. That's an elder brother attitude that we see here in this story. Yesterday, one of the uh, men in, in Kairos prison ministry was going to speak about Christian action. Not sure if you remember the, the day we gave a report, first time after I'd gone in, and we had a stool on stage, and, and yes, you need to know Jesus, and yes, you need to study the Bible, that's two legs of the stool, but there's a third leg of the stool, that's Christian action, and if you leave that uh, you know, leg of the stool off, it's not really a stool, it won't really hold anything. So we were to that point yesterday he had t that we had talked to him about knowing Jesus, the need to study the Scriptures, and then he was going to get up and talk to him about the need for Christian action, the need to actually do something for Christ in your life. And we always pray the speaker up. So, so the guy was going to speak. We were off in a side room, and only two or three of us in Kairos, and we'll grab a couple of, uh, of, the, of the inmates that have been through Kairos, uh, and, and we'll bring them in with us to help pray the speaker up before he goes to speak. So we were in there uh, praying for him, and then I, I heard the door open as we were praying. So I said, so, I mean, I'm in a prison. The door opens. We're in a closed room. I'm kind of peeping, trying to see what's going on, you know, uh, and everything. So I look, and, and the chaplain, Chaplain Redding, had come in and, and taken Bishop. Um, or when Bishop gets out, I'm on, you, you'll hear from Bishop one day whenever he does his time and ever gets out, I, I think. But I, I really feel like you need to hear his testimony. But he gets Bishop, and he takes Bishop out. Bishop's a big guy. You think Mike Jacobs is big? He's not big. Bishop's big, right? <laughs> 
And he takes Bishop out. So we finish praying, and I look out trying to think, well, I'm being a little bit of of an elder brother myself. What is he doing interrupting our prayer time coming in here? And I look out, and I see Bishop is out there with one of the participants, one of the inmates that's going through Kairos this time, and, and he's got his arms around him, and, and, and this, this smaller prisoner just crying his eyes out. And another prisoner there that was, that was in with us praying for him told me at that point in time that, that he had just found out that his mother died. So he goes and speaks about Christian action. One of our, our Kairos uh, brothers goes and speaks about Christian action. Then we come back and we pray them down, more or less. We pray for them after they have spoken. So we're getting ready to pray them down. And better, before we pray, it, I, I tell those guys, I said, listen, we just heard about Christian action. I need to tell you too, because both of these prisoners went out and ministered to that young, that young man who lost his mother. And I said, I just got to see Christian action taking place in the prison and you two doing it. And then, and then Bishop went, went on, and, and, and Bishop, the big guy, sat there, and he said, I don't think you all understand how significant it is when you come in, because you come in and actually make us feel like we're people, not an object. And you talk to us, and, and, and you love those guys. And, and then Bishop said this. He said, we, we just talked about Christian action. And he said, when I try and get in my mind a picture of what Jesus would look like and what Christian action looks like, he says, I, I see you men coming into the prison. Todd, who's over there, Todd Rhodes is over there this morning still yet with him. Todd said, I couldn't even look him in the face. I felt like crawling out of my seat and getting on my face in the floor. Because I didn't feel worthy for anything like that to be said. But then I was talking with Todd later, and I said, Todd, I, I, I pastored, you know, here few months will be 30 years and i don't remember anybody ever coming up to me and saying because you preached a sermon because you did those songs because you did those services uh, i've got a picture in my mind what jesus is like but i'm in a prison and someone tells me because you've come in here and you've loved us and you've fed us and you've talked to us that's a picture in my mind what jesus is like And the only reason I got off on that story to tell, tell the story, once on my heart, and I had to tell it today, you know, uh, find a way to make it fit somehow and everything. But, 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 but is this, some people might think, why mess with them? Or some people in churches might think, why mess with those sinners out there? The cost is just too much. It is a great cost. The cost was the shed blood of Jesus on the cross that is for you and for me both. Thank God for grace. Amen. Because in, in this elder brother, the first picture we get is that. It's a, it, it's a picture of the way we can get really self-righteous if we're not careful and, and we look down on sinners. Because that's what he was doing with his brother. Second, second main lesson I want you to get today is, is this. Uh, the elder brother's response to the father represents self-reliance or self-righteous reliance upon good works. You get a picture of someone depending upon what they've done and who they think they are in, in this elder brother's attitude. Look what I said here in, in, in verse 28, the second part of it through 30. 
His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years, and I don't know if you can see it good on the screen, but I, I, I tried to put bold uh, the, the letter I and then me and my and, and I again. But, but look at what he says. Here's what the elder brother says. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he won't even claim that he's his brother, when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Look at some of the, the words that, that's in that, and then I'll give you a couple of sub-points to go with it. But when it says, therefore, what, what it's saying is this. Instead of the father coming out and being mean to his older son, saying, why, you, you're disrespecting me. Why don't you come in? Why won't you be happy? Instead of doing that, the, the word therefore actually means but. So, so instead of mistreating him, he comes out and he entreats him. He begs him. He invites him. Please, please come in. To the party that I'm throwing for, you, for your younger son. And, and look at the response of this elder brother, this older son. When he says, look, it's in the Greek imperative. And the best way to kind of translate that is, is like this. It's as though the, the, the older son looked at his dad and said, see here, dad. Look. Look here, you. I want you to understand something. I don't agree with what you've done. I mean, that's pretty disrespectful, isn't it? All of you that are dads, would you like to hear that kind of attitude from, you know, I've got enough ex-cop in me where I kind of want to say, see here. But that's the... That's the attitude that, he, that he's given to his father. And he said, over all this vast amount of time, all these years, this quantity of time, I've been like a slave to you. And he says, I've never, and when you read that in the tense in the Greek, he's literally claiming this. He said, I've never at any time in my life have I ever, ever, ever disobeyed your command. Anything you've ever wanted, I've always done. I've never disobeyed your command. So maybe the elder brother's a liar too, you know. And here's why I say that. You can go through the motions on the outside. You can do everything someone in authority tells you to do, but on the inside you can be mad and upset about it and still be sinning as you go through the motions. He's, he's, he is, it's like he's holding all of this over his father. And, and, and then he goes on and he says, you've, you've never even given me a young goat. You gave him a fatty cap, but not at any time have you ever even given me anything in response to what I've done. You've not given me anything to put me in a good frame of mind, to help me celebrate, to help me rejoice. Instead, though, when this son of yours goes off with prostitutes, and man, that word is completely loaded because it means idolaters, and it even referred to male prostitutes serving in heathen temples. So this story might be a whole lot more seedy than what we thought it was to start with of all the things that the younger son had done. But he's gone off and wasted everything with prostitutes, and instead of giving him a goat, you've given him a fatted, you've given him the best, you've given him a fatted calf. What I want you to see in all those attitudes, the reason I took time to do those word studies, I want you to see two main things. 
First of all, I want you to see a a self-righteous, self-centered approach. Because this elder brother says, I, I, me, I, my, all through that text. The, the, the younger brother had made it about what he wanted. He just went to his dad and asked for it and went and lived a wild lifestyle. But the older brother stayed home and worked. He wasn't doing it because he loved the father. He wasn't doing it simply because of, of, of being there in the father's presence. He was doing it to get what he wanted. He's talking about himself. Look what I've done. Look all that I've done for you. A self-righteous approach. I, I, me, I, my. Look what I've done for you. A self-centered approach. You've never given me anything. Instead of being happy that his father was happy, that the younger brother was home, he's upset. He's making it all about himself. And and he has this this self-righteous, self-centered approach that if we're not careful... We can have sometimes also. But the main thing I want you to see is a manipulative approach, a manipulative approach that this, that this elder brother has. More or less in all that he said, this is what you see in the kind of attitude that he had and the kind of attitude that people still yet have today. He was looking at his father and saying, but I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. You could at least give me a goat, but you never even did that. He, he, he was doing these things, wanting to get the inheritance, trying to manipulate the father. He just took a different pathway than his brother did. He still wasn't interested in the father. He's interested in getting the inheritance. And people still yet today will, will have these kinds of attitudes. If I try hard, real hard to obey God, if I go to church, if I tithe some money, if I read my Bible and pray, if I strive to be a good person, then God will owe me. I'll have God indebted to me if I do all of these things for Him. God will have to answer my prayers when I call out to Him. God will have to help me out when I need Him to help me out. God will have to let me into heaven one day because I've done all this stuff for Him. See, that's the attitude of the elder brother. We're talking about an eternal inheritance. The elder brother was trying to get a physical inheritance by working in, by staying there, by being busy, thinking he can manipulate the father into doing what he wanted him to do. And people do the same thing with God. They try to think, if I can just be good enough, serve God long enough, put in enough hours, whatever it is, they think somehow they'll have God in their debt to where God will have to do what they want God to do. And that's a very manipulative approach has nothing to do with loving the Father. It has to do with going through the motions thinking you can get what you want. Dr. Keller in his book, and please listen to this, because this is probably, I guess, maybe the most serious thing, maybe in the message today. But Dr. Keller in his book, uh, The Prodigal God, like once again, that we are using in our small group study, puts it like this. If that's the language of your heart, the things that I just said a moment ago, if that's the language of your heart, then Jesus is your model, Jesus is your example, Jesus is your boss, but He is not your Savior. Now that is a huge statement. 
In other words, if you're trying to manipulate God to let you into heaven or do whatever you want God to do for you by your obedience, by your self-righteousness, by what you think you can do for Him, then you're not letting Him be your Savior. You're trying to be your own Savior. You're trying to manipulate your way to heaven. You're trying to work your way to heaven. You're trying to be good enough to go to heaven. And He might be your model, your boss is what He's saying, but He's not really your Savior. Back, Back up one, please. He says, you're seeking to be your own Savior. All your morality and all your religion, it's all just a way to get God to give you the things you really want. But what you need to understand, those things are not God himself. See, a real relationship with God is not about manipulating him just to get what we want from him. A real authentic relationship with God is wanting him, wanting a relationship with him. Most of you have heard me talk about my dad before and him being an alcoholic and me growing up with, with him uh, uh, even abusing my mom. And he worked, he worked out of town a lot, would come home on Fridays uh, after working out of town, come, come home drunk most of the time. Um, as I think back to my childhood, I think I remember one time when I was young that I had a new ball glove and he happened to come home a little bit early and he threw baseball with me, maybe one time that I can think of uh, in my life uh, that day. Um, never remembered hearing him say, I love you. Uh, I, I'm thankful that Becky was going through some old, some old things that we, uh, uh, that we had from school, old schoolwork and things like that. They'd been packaged back and she found a diary uh, a couple years ago, they had a note where my dad had written to me that he loved me. And, uh, th- and that's something I, I value. Uh, I, I value thinking back to him throwing the baseball that one time and, and, and everything. But, but I don't have a lot of things left to me uh, by my dad. I've got an old wristwatch that he had bought for me uh, the Christmas that he died. And he, he, and he died. He was killed on December 21st. We buried him December 23rd. So mom had to give me the watch. It doesn't work, but I still have it. And, and I still value it, but I don't have a lot of things that he gave me. But even if I had a whole lot of stuff that he had given me, can I tell you something? I would trade all of it. For the chance to spend some time with him. I don't care if it had been hundreds of thousands of dollars because I never really had time with him. And the reason I tell that story is this, is to illustrate something for you. We need to desire God the Father more than we desire what we can get from him. We, we need to desire spending time with Him, having the opportunity to spend the time with the God of all the universe. The one that loved us so much, He put His Son on a cross so that through Him we can have everlasting life and be in a relationship with Him. We need to value a relationship with God more than we value, well, God, I'll do this so I can get this. I'll do that so I can get this. I'll do this for you so you'll be obligated to me. Because can I tell you something? God is not obligated to anybody except Himself and His Word. This elder brother gives us a picture of, of someone that's self-righteous, thinking they can, they can earn or they can work their way to heaven. 
Last, last thing I want you to get, and then, and then we'll close. But uh, the, last, the last main lesson we need to get today about the elder brothers is the, the elder brother's rejection of the father's invitation leaves him outside of the celebration of grace. I mean, Jesus brings the story to a close. And this, this elder brother's standing outside. As far as we know, he never went into the party. And you see, that really stabs at the whole reason Jesus tells this parable to start with because his message was to the Pharisees. He was letting them know, hey, you're outside the party still. You're looking down on other people thinking you're okay. You're trusting in your own self-righteousness. You're being self-centered in your own life. And you're refusing my grace. So you're outside the party of grace. The father here in this parable was throwing a party of grace, welcoming home a son who had been so sinful and ruined his life, but he welcomes him in open arms and throws a celebration showing how huge his grace is in his love. And the Pharisees had been standing there earlier. The reason Jesus told this story, upset that Jesus was letting sinners and tax collectors hang out with him. And Jesus tells this story to let the Pharisees know, you need to change your heart. That elder brother needed to change his heart. The Pharisees and the scribes, he's saying, you need to change your heart. You need to quit trying to think you're good enough and quit looking down on other people and understand it's only by my grace and you're outside grace right now. You're outside the party. Verse 31 and 32, and he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want you to notice with me three rejections really quick in this story, and, and then we'll come to an invitation. Three rejections here. The first rejection is this. There's a rejection of the satisfaction found in relationship to the Father. You, you see, the, the elder son, he, he, he told him, the father said, look, you, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. But he's still upset. Remember, he's upset. You've never given me this. You never gave me that. I've worked for you all these years, but, but you've not responded. You know, you, you ought to be obligated to me. You ought to be doing things for me. And the father says, you've always been with me. In other words, he should have been satisfied being in the presence of the Father, not in the presence of the Father's stuff. Not in what he, he thinks he, he, he might can get out of the Father. You and I, we need to be sure that we don't reject the satisfaction that's found in the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Don't replace it with trinkets. Don't replace it with other things and, and think that's what will bring satisfaction to your life. If you're a child of God, the only thing that really satisfies is a relationship with the Father. If you're not a Christian, the only thing that will ever satisfy the hole in your heart is your trust in Jesus and have a relationship with the Father. But this older son seems just to reject that satisfaction because he, he takes the pathway of trying to earn his inheritance. The other brother took the pathway of rebellion. He takes the pathway to earn his inheritance by working, but both of them were interested in the Father instead of being interested in the Father. 
Second rejection is this. There's a rejection of the celebration that the father said was fitting that should take place. The father looked at him when he complained, the elder brother complained. He said, look, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive, and he was lost and is found. And that word that he used for fitting there means it was necessary, it was needful, it, it was actually supposed to happen. That's the word that he uses there when he says it, it was fitting. He, he's telling the elder brother, look, we should do this because, look, you're, you're, you're a brother. By the way, a moment ago, he said, your son, like he's not even my brother. And the father reminds him, hey, he's your brother. He's out of the same womb. He's out of the same mother. He's your brother. He was lost, but now he's found, so we ought to celebrate. He said, it's only fitting. It's, it's necessary. It's needful. It's what the word means that, that we should do that. But he's rejecting the celebration. The father said it's fitting. The application to us is we need to be sure we never, ever, ever in our self-righteous minds somehow reject the celebration that we ought to have when someone repents and comes to God. And he also did this. He rejected the invitation of the Father. He rejected the invitation of the Father. And the story ends, as I said a moment ago. It ends with him standing outside, giving us a picture of the Pharisees who wanted to depend upon their own goodness, their own works, instead of depending upon grace. Instead of admitting, look, I, I am a sinner. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. The story ends with this elder brother who I think is also lost in this story. Remaining lost, standing outside the celebration of grace. Where do you fit in this, this morning? Are you someone that's just been trying to serve God to where you can manipulate Him? Have you been coming to church or reading your Bible or praying or tithing or whatever it might be? Have you been doing it just so you can think, now you owe me, God? Or are you maybe someone that's pictured in the, in the story of that younger brother and you're living a rebellious life right now and, and, and you see yourself in, in that younger brother. You, you're living a... a rebellious life of sin and and it's taking a toll on your life and, and maybe it's time for you to understand you need to wake up and come home to the father are you found can you find yourself are you picturing this elder brother who stands back self-righteously looking down on sinners trying to earn your way and because of that you're outside god's grace Let's pray. Father, God, forgive us for times we have rebelled against you, and we've been like this younger brother. Father, I pray everyone here has had a wake-up call and they've understood that they need to return to you. And if they have not, Father, right now, I pray you convict them of where they are in their life and help them to see their, their only hope, their only chance is to turn around and come to you. Trust in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. 
turn loose of what they think they can do to earn their righteousness or earn their way to heaven. Father, forgive us when we are like this elder brother. Forgive us, God, when we as Christians sometimes forget that we ourselves were sinners and we self-righteously look down upon others. God, forgive us when we maybe have attitudes that we can manipulate you. Forgive us, Father, when we take the approach that we want your stuff, that we want what you can do for us instead of really wanting you. And Father, I pray right now for every every person here. God, for a, for a lost sinner to first come to you. But Father, for, for those of us that already know you, God, give us a, God, give us a hunger just to just a fellowship with you. Be satisfied in the relationship we have with you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.